we're in this series called Desperate. We're walking through the 23rd Psalm together, and we're pulling everything we can out to try to apply it to our life. And so if you have your Bible, electronic devices, you need to click to, turn to uh, Psalm 23, verse 4, is all we're going to look at this morning. And if not, the words are going to come up on the screen in just a few moments as we, as we read Scripture together. And so I want to talk to you about this issue of valleys. I want to talk to you about what it, what it, means, to, what it means to walk through a valley of life. And so uh, there's a story about a man uh, that was having some physical problems. And I mean, he had, I mean, his whole body was in pain. And I mean, it was in excruciating pain to where he couldn't find any comfort. He had pain from like the top of his head all the way down to like his toes or the soles of his feet. And so finally he got to the place where he couldn't take the pain any longer and he decided to go to the doctor. He goes in and sees his doctor. He sits down with his doctor and his doctor looks at him and says, how can you help? How can I help you? And he said, doc, you, you got to do something. My whole body is in pain. It's like just, it's miserable. I just, I cannot get any relief. My, and he says, your whole body? Yep, my whole body is in pain. And the doctor says, well, I don't know if I've ever heard of that. He says, uh, uh, could, I, could, could I get you to do a couple of things for me? He said, sure. He said, take your index finger and touch your forehead. So he takes his index finger, touches his forehead, and immediately the man just starts screaming. He says, ah, oh, it hurts so bad. It's so painful. Doc, you got to do something. He says, okay, calm down. He said, now touch your elbow. So the man touches his elbow. Same thing. The man starts screaming again and says, it's just so painful. Doc, you don't understand. It just hurts so bad. He goes, okay, one last time. Just reach down, touch your knee. He reached down and touches his knee with his index finger, and again he starts screaming. He said, it's just so painful. And so the doctor looked at him and said, sir, your whole body isn't in pain. You have a dislocated index finger. <laughs> and some of you are going to get that on the way home, right? <laughs> Sometimes in life it's that one thing, right? Sometimes it's in life it's that one thing that gives pain throughout your entire life. Sometimes in life, it is that one thing, it is that one distraction, it is that one thing that gives you pain, and it affects every area of your life. That is the definition of a valley. A valley is something that we walk through when it's that one thing, it's that one pain point. It's that one pressure point in our life that it seems like, it makes us feel like that we have pain throughout our whole life. It's that one thing that affects everything about our life. Relationships, the way we think, the way we feel, the things we focus on, it's, it's that one thing. A valley, in case you've never defined it, that's a valley. A valley is something that you and I walk through that it's that one thing that gives us pain throughout an entire life. I want to talk to you this morning just in some real ways and some very personal ways about what is a valley and how to walk through a valley. What does a valley look like? David said this again. I've read the scripture once, but he, verse 4 he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In Israel, if you ever go to Israel, there's actually a place called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. If you study the geography, and, and I've seen it, but if you study the geography of the Valley of the Shadow of Death, it is a, it is a narrow canyon, that, that, a narrow path that cuts through a canyon, and deep, steep walls on both sides. It's a treacherous journey, and the only time that the sun reaches the bottom of the Valley of Shadow of Death is at high noon. In other words, very seldom in the valley of the shadow of death are there not any 
shadows. The only time that happens is just for a few moments at high noon when the sun finally meets the bottom of the canyon. When you study this word valley in the scripture, you realize all through Old Testament, New Testament, that a valley describes something as a, a difficult season of life, a rough spot in life, a, a, a painful time in your life. It, 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 it describes like a difficult season. A valley is, is a, a situation or a circumstance or a, or a problem that is overwhelming to you. And you know you're in a valley when it intimidates you. Man, it intimidates you to think about it, to look at it, to remember it, to deal with it, to walk through it. And when you do, it produces fear and insecurity and instability in your life. It, it, a valley creates instability in your life because your valley, your circumstances, your situations are, are now controlling you because that's what you focus on. And so we know this, right? Valleys come in all shapes and sizes. You can have a, you can have a medical valley. You're going to have a challenge with your, your health or the challenge in the in a, in a health of a loved one or a spouse or a child. And, and so we can walk through medical valleys. There, there's relational valleys where you have problems in a, in a marriage or you have problems in a dating relationship or, or you have problems with a close friend or a relationship and, and, or you have problems at the office. And so there's relational valleys that we can walk through. There's, there's circumstantial valleys. I mean, in other words, the culture culture affects us, right? I mean, we live, we do, this is not a, a perfect place. This is not heaven. This is earth. And as a result of that, sometimes our culture, sometimes our circumstances, sometimes what we're going through as a nation, what we're going through locally, if we're not careful, it can send us in the valley. It, it, it can affect us. There's, there's a career valley. Maybe it's a problem at the office. Maybe it's a problem with your company, a profession, a career, the job site. Maybe there's a downturn and there's layoffs or cutbacks. Or, and so we can, we can have, I mean, we can have a career valley. We can, we can have an economic valley to where there's all of a sudden there's financial problems. We've been laid off. There's cutbacks. There's reduces in salary. We, we went from two-income family to a one-income family. We can go through financial valleys and we can go through economic valleys. But listen, whatever it is, it's big. The problem, the problem with this one thing is it affects everything. The problem with this one thing that gives you pain, it affects everything in your life. See, that's a valley, and here's the crazy thing about a valley. A valley doesn't seem to go away. It seems like it's always there. In other words, it seems like that this valley will not leave you alone. This one thing affects everything in your life. So this morning, if, if you have a, a one thing, if you have a one big thing, then I want you to call it what it is. I want you to call it a valley. And I want you to name it because, it, listen, I'm telling you, if you do not name it, then you cannot deal with it. And if you cannot name it, then you cannot attack it and take care of it. You cannot walk through it. See, see here's the thing. The reason that a valley is so paralyzing is a valley stands between your past and your future. A valley is like a tunnel. And a valley stands between your past and your future. And when you're over here and you know you have to go through a valley, then there's questions, what does life look like on the other side of the valley? What does life look like, the life that God has for me on the, side of the other side of the valley? See, that's why a valley is so paralyzing. A, va a valley is paralyzing because we think it threatens our future. We think it threatens what our future looks like, and so that's why a valley 
can be so paralyzing, can be so personal, can be so difficult. So the questions are, is how do you handle valleys of life? And so I want to give you some definitions. I want to give you just, just five facts about valleys. Many years ago, I, I gave some of these to you, but it, it's worth repeating. And then we're going to talk about how to walk through a valley. And I'm going to bring some things out in my personal life, some things that Karen and I have not been able to talk to about these last two years. It's never safe talking publicly about something that you have not processed out first personally. Because I want to encourage this this morning about a valley. So five facts about a valley. The first thing is this, is valleys are inevitable. Valleys are inevitable in life. We just, we just got to understand that. A valley, listen, a valley is where your faith is tested. And listen, any, anyone can trust God when the sun is shining, right? The test is, is when we get in the valley and the sun no longer hits us, the sun no longer makes it to the bottom of the valley. Do you, do you crumble? Do you complain? Do you panic? Do you quit? Do you get bitter? Or do you say, you know what? Valleys are inevitable, and God led me into this. See, here, here's the thing. Please remember the context of this. David is the good shepherd, just as Jesus is our good shepherd, but David is leading the sheep through the valley. The sheep have not strayed. The sheep have not gone off in the ditch. The sheep have not been disobedient to the shepherd. They're simply following him. Listen, just because you're in a valley does not mean there's sin in your life. I'm telling you... There's so many people that become Christians and, and then they hit their first valley and they're like, well, you didn't tell me there were going to be valleys. You didn't tell me there was going to be difficulty. I mean, in other words, if I'm going through a valley, then I must be out of God's will. No, let me tell you something. You can be in God's will in a valley because valleys are inevitable. for Listen, life, and I don't need to spend much time on this, right? Life has valleys. And and just because God allows it, just because God permits it in his life does not mean you're outside of God's will. Can I just tell you this just real quickly? Never be embarrassed about your valley. I find so many people, especially in spiritual circles, churches, that when they go through a valley, like Christians are embarrassed they're going through a valley. They're embarrassed that they're going because it's like something is wrong with me. Everybody else, when I go to church, they're smiling. It looks like they have life all together, and I'm the, I'm the only one. And as a result of that, you're embarrassed about your valley. Listen, let me tell you something. Never be embarrassed about your valley. It's inevitable. We're all going to go through valleys. Life is full of valleys. We're all going to walk through a valley, so never be embarrassed about your valley. Have you ever noticed that a, that a good day can go to a bad day really quickly? Right? It can be a phone call. It can be a text message. It can be an email. It can be a conversation with a spouse or a significant other, a friend, a boss, a supervisor. Have you ever noticed a good day can go to a bad day just in a heartbeat? Valleys are inevitable. The second thing is this. Valleys are unpredictable. Don't you wish you could predict a valley? Don't you wish, especially for us type A people, I'd like to be able to schedule a valley, right? I'd, I mean, I know that may be obsessive, but I'd like to try to schedule a valley. I and mean, here's what I've learned. You can't plan them. You can't schedule them. They're always unexpected. And here's something else I've learned about valleys. They never come at a good time, Right? They always come at the worst time, like there's a good time for a valley, but it just seems to me, I mean, have you ever had a flat tire at a good time? You ever run out of gas? At, I run out of gas a lot. Have you ever run out of gas at a good time? No. 
It's, usually, it's, it's generally never right across a you know, gas station or while you're pulling in. It's always at a bad time. It's like these, these valleys are just unpredictable. You cannot predict them. I mean, and, and when you look at this, you, you realize that they're just unpredictable. Here's, a, here's another one. Valleys are impartial. Valleys are impartial. No one's immune from a valley. No one, listen, no one in this world, Christian, non-Christian, good person, bad person, a difficult person, critical person, encouraging person, any type of person. Listen, nobody, listen, nobody is immune from a valley. No one is insulated in this life from pain and sorrow. No one gets to skate through life pain-free. Every, listen, everybody has problems, good people, bad people. Christians, non-Christians, problems, difficulties, trials, disturbances, discouragement, depression. Listen, does not mean you're a bad person. You know what it means? It means you're a person. told you this before. It doesn't mean you're an evil human being when you go through a valley. It just means you're a human being. Valleys are impartial. Listen, the Bible just makes it clear that Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. And Scripture says Jesus is the one that said it rains on the just and the unjust. And sometimes it betrays our sense of justice, right? So valleys are impartial. But here, here's another one. Valleys are, valleys are temporary. Valleys are temporary. In, in other words, valleys have an, have an end to them. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and that word walk is, is important, but that word through is equally important, that I walk through the valley. In other words, the valley isn't something you, valley isn't something you stay in. It's something that you go through. It's a circumstance. It's a situation. It has a, it has a, it has a season to it. And so a lot of times when, when we're in a valley, we think, it's, we think it's not a valley. We think it's not a tunnel. We think it's not something that we walk through. We think it's a dead end because you know why? Because of the, because of the shadows. That's what makes valleys difficult are the shadows. Scripture tells us that a valley has a beginning and an end and and that you go through it, and eventually you're going to come out on the other side. I mean, that's it's why problems, they, they didn't come to stay. They, they, they came to pass. And First Peter, Simon Peter writes in First Peter chapter 1, verse 16, and he tries to flesh this out. And I'll just read one verse, explain the rest. You can read it later. He says, in this you rejoice, that now for a little while, temporary, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In other words, this is just another way of saying a valley. And it's multifaceted. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed you've never gone through really the same trial twice? You may go through the same type, but there's always different situations and different personalities. And, and so Simon Peter begins talking about that life is tough and it's going to be rough, but there's, there's wonderful joy ahead. And, and he starts talking about, he talked about heaven. That in heaven there's no problems. In heaven there's no pain. In heaven there's no there's no valleys. And while we may have valleys down here because it's an imperfect place, while we may be harassed down here, that in heaven, heaven's a perfect place. And if you know Jesus Christ, then Scripture teaches that one day you will live in eternity with him. And so he says, he says, don't get discouraged. I mean, even if, even if you live 80 or 90 years and you have the same problem your entire life, that Simon Peter would say that's insignificant compared to the millions upon millions of years that you will live in eternity with, 
with Christ in heaven. Here's another one. Valleys are purposeful. Valleys are purposeful. God has a reason, and we may not like it. We may not even understand it, but God has a reason through taking you through a valley. Whether it's a financial valley, whether it's a relational valley, whether it's an emotional valley, there's all kinds of valleys. There's all kinds of trials. And Simon Peter and, and David in the 23rd Psalm says a valley is, is, is not an accident. In other words, uh, what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Simon Peter says is, is valleys are not a freak of nature. It's a part of life. And that God wants to build your faith in the valley, even though we'd love to live life on the mountaintops, right? Our faith is not built on the mountaintops. Our faith is built in the valley. Our faith is built in those times of life when, when we're walking through difficult times and we have to press close to him. We have to ask some real questions. We, we need him with us. There's something about a valley that when we come face-to-face with God, we become face-to-face with, our, with ourselves. And, and the scripture says that our faith, <coughs> our faith is strengthened in the valleys. I mean, it's, it's those times that our faith is strengthened when we draw close to him. And our valleys have a purpose in your life. My faith is grown deeper in a valley than on the mountain. There's something about a mountaintop. In the celebrations of life, in the good times of life, we don't think we need God as much as we do in a valley when we have questions. Valleys have a purpose. And so I don't need to spend a lot of time convincing you that there's different types of valleys and life has valleys. But I think the real question, the weight of this is how do you walk through a valley? What does David say and what does the scripture say? How do, how do we walk through the valleys of life? Because none of us, listen, none of us are immune from this. There's a point that every one of us are going to walk through a valley, and we may walk through multiple valleys. I've had a lot of valleys in my life. And David is the one that says, you know what? When I'm in a valley, I I, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, he says, they're the ones that comfort me. So let me give you a few things of how to walk through a valley. The first one is this. You have to refuse to be discouraged. You, you have to come to the place where you refuse to be discouraged. You, you find that with David. David says, I will fear no evil. For him to make that statement, he had to have fear. For him to make that statement, he was dealing with, with, with fear. And David says, I will fear no evil. David would say to the Christian, Christian, put your faith in God, not your faith in the valley, not your faith in the shadows. And David goes on and says, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. That word walk is just so important. You know what it means? It means to calmly walk. It means like going on a stroll, going like walking around the block without any strength. In other words, this, he said, it's, it's not to panic. It's not to freeze. It's not to run. In other words, to where you come to the place and you understand that God is with me and I'm going to walk through the valley trusting him. In other words, you've got to come to the place refuse to be discouraged. And let me tell you something. I am prone to discouragement. I'm prone to depression. That's something we don't like to admit often in church right. I am prone to discouragement and depression. It's easier for me to think of the negative instead of the positive. It's easier for me to look at the shadows and allow the shadows to give me fear in my life 
than to look at the, the light. I'm telling you this morning, you've got to, you've got to fight not to be discouraged. Because David says, he says, I will, I will fear no evil, which, which just simply implies a choice. It implies a volition, a, a decision. It, 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 to make a decision that I am not going to be discouraged. I will not be afraid. And so let me just tell you, just get a little personal. If you're discouraged this morning, it's because you're choosing to be discouraged. If you're discouraged this morning, it's because discouragement is a choice. It's always a choice. Now, listen, none of us wake up, me included. None of us wake up in the morning, right, and say, I choose to be depressed and discouraged this morning, right? Nobody does that. But you know how we make that choice? I'm going to focus on the negative instead of the positive. I'm going to focus on what's wrong instead of what's right. I'm going to focus on the shadow and not the light. I'm going to come to the place, and you know what? If that's you, and listen, I struggle with that. I am with you. If you struggle with that this morning, do not feel any guilt. I'm in it with you. That's why David said, I will, I will not fear. I will not be discouraged. That's why in our family, when we, and we, we're still we're in a two-year valley. That's why at the end of every evening, we sit down, we look each other in the eye, and we say, I need three things that you're grateful for. And we say that out verbally, th three things that God is doing, three things that you can be thankful for. Listen, sometimes, sometimes we just, we just need people around us that can encourage us, right? That's why, anyway, ADD thought, I won't even say it. It's probably from pizza and not from God. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be around positive people, right? Not negative people, glass half empty people. Uh, they never stop to count their blessings. Listen, if you never stop to count your blessings, you're going to be discouraged. M many times negative people, they, they, they count their problems and they count their problems in front of you. When you don't want to hear them, right? Life is a, life is a journey, and you have to listen. You have to you have to choose not to be discouraged. Here's, Colossians, the writer of Colossians says, uh, "Being strengthened with all power according to His glor glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy." I mean, I think this morning as Christians, we would all admit God's all powerful, and we would admit that God is willing to give us His power. Okay. But the real question is, is how do I get that power in the valley? How do I get that power in the valley so I am not, af not afraid? I, the only way I can explain it is, is this way. It's just a little story. About a couple of weeks ago, I had a very early breakfast meeting with an individual. And so I stepped out into my garage. I hit the garage door opener button, and like nothing happened. And so being mechanically inclined that I am, I just hit the button again. And then I hit it repeatedly. And then I, you know, then I leaned against it like it is not working. And like nothing's happening. And I'm, I, and I'm late. And I, don't, I hate to be late. I like to be early. I don't like to be late. I am late. And so then I quickly think, well, maybe there's not power in the garage. So I flip on the light and the garage light comes on. Nope, got power in the, in the garage. And I thought, well, maybe the box, the motor, isn't connected. We have an extension cord that comes out of ours and plugs into the ceiling. So I looked up there and it's plugged in. Then I started thinking, well, maybe, 
maybe the breaker tripped. I wonder if there's power to the garage door opener. So I went back to our garage door opener button, and we have a button to turn the light on. I punched that button, the light came on. So I said, man, it has power. And so I am frustrated, but because I'm a pastor, I stayed spiritual, and I just I prayed. <laughs> so I, I walked to the garage door. I hit the release rope deal, and I bent down to, uh, to lift up the garage door. And all of a sudden, you know those two boxes on each side of your, your garage door, and they're supposed to be looking at each other? Well, they're not looking at each other. One's, one's like turned this way. I thought, you know, Karen must have done that. and <laughs> Headed into another valley. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then I, I, took, I took the box and I turned it so it would look. Yeah, you got guys got to look at each other. And then I went back to the button. I hit the button. And you know what? Now the power got from the the ceiling to the motor and the garage door opened. And you know what the problem was? They weren't looking at each other. You know the reason we cannot get God's power into the valley, into our life, is because we're looking at the wrong thing. He has designed us to look at him. He has designed us to look at his promises. He has designed us to look at the positive and not the negative. See, the reason that a valley is so paralyzing is because when we get in the valley, we view it as this barrier to our future. We view it as it's between our past and our future. And we wonder, is God's promises still true? We wonder if he's going to stay faithful. That's why a valley can be so, so, so difficult. Here, here's another one. You have to remember God is with me. You have to come to that place, and you have to remember God is with me. There is something about a valley. If you're not careful, you can feel judged. You can feel there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with my life. Listen, never, ever be embarrassed by the valley that you're in. And David said, for you are with me. You will be with me. In other words, David, just it was just a progression for him. I will fear no evil, and I will remember that you are with me. And God, listen, God not only promises his, his, his power in a valley, but he promises his presence in a valley. And I'm coming to the place that I think his presence is more, more powerful than his power. Because it's through his presence that you get his power. And David came to this place and said, God is with me. The shadows may be telling me something different. The valley may be telling me something different. That's why it's so important for you and I to know who God is before you enter the valley. Because if you don't know who he is before you enter the valley, you will let the valley define out who God is rather than who you know him to be. And so Isaiah said this in Isaiah 43 too. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. In other words, God is saying, he's saying, I am with you, and he will be with you every step of the way. And listen, God does not sit up in heaven, heaven looking down and on you in a valley and says, hope you make it. Sucks for you. I hope you figure it out. Not that God would say suck. I'm so sorry. God says, I will lead you through the valley. In, in the 23rd Psalm, there's a, there's a strategic, I believe, a strategic change in language 
uh, that I think David does intentionally. The first part of the 23rd Psalm, the pronouns are in the third person. He leads me beside still waters. He guides me into green pastures. He restores my soul. David is talking about God. It's theory. It's doctrine. And then all of a sudden, when he gets, when he gets in the valley, it changes. Second person pronouns. He no longer talks about God. He talks to God. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Something about valleys that bring us face to face with God. And all of a sudden, the ultimate becomes the intimate. Man, when I'm, when I'm going through a valley, I don't know if you're like me. I don't want to talk about God. I want to talk to God. You ever been in a valley? Someone starts giving you facts about God, and it frustrates you? I've done that. This is why. Because you, when, when you're in a valley... You just need him. You just need his presence. Man. It was August of 2016. It was a day like any other day. Got up that morning, had some meetings at church, and uh, I life journaled and prayed, and God didn't make me aware that we were headed into a valley. We knew Brittany, our oldest daughter, 32 at the time, and she was having some migraines, and migraines were so severe that it would, it would affect her, her speech and it would affect some of her motor skills. The doctors finally got to the point, and they says, we want you to go have an MRI. As young as you are and the odds, we don't think it's anything serious, but we need to reel out the serious stuff, and we'll probably treat you for migraines the rest of your life. And so she scheduled the MRI. The MRI was that day. She talked to her mother, Karen, uh, throughout the day. Karen's home health and seeing patients in, in Pueblo West. And in between patients, they were talking. Brittany was on her way that afternoon to, to her MRI. And so she picked up the phone and she called me on the way. And she's Dad, for some reason, I'm really scared. And that's unusual for Brittany. And she's Dad, for some reason, I'm just really scared. I'm, I'm really, really nervous about this MRI. And so we say, I said the things that you should never say to someone that's going in for medical test. I just said, oh, you'll be okay. You know, what could go wrong? I says, I've had, a, I've had an MRI of, of my brain once years back, and they found nothing. And, and so uh, <laughs> yeah, for you guys, it's like, yeah, we, we could have told you that. Save some money. You know, even though I'm from Texas, I have a brain. <laughs> and so she said, but Dad, I'm, I'm really shook up. So I, so I prayed with her. I prayed with her, hung up. About an hour later, I'm in a meeting and look at my phone, and she had called, and so I stepped out. And I said, are you okay? And she said, Dad. She said, I, I, I did the MRI. I was getting in my vehicle in the parking lot of the hospital. And the tech called me and said, you need to drive immediately to your doctor. Dad, something's wrong. It's not good. I don't know what it is. It's not good. So I prayed with her again and said, do you want me to tell your mother? And she said, please don't. Please don't tell mom yet. So I said, okay. 
So she drove to her doctor. A few minutes later, she calls me back as she's leaving her doctor, and she says, oh, Dad, I have a, I have a tumor, I have a brain tumor. And I've got to have brain surgery within a couple of weeks. We entered a, a valley. I said, well, do you, um, do you want to tell your mom or do you want me to? She said, Dad, there's, there's no way I can tell mom. How does a daughter tell a mother? She has a brain. T- I, I cannot tell mom. I cannot tell mom. She says, I need you to tell mom. But I need you to promise me you don't tell her over the phone while she's driving. I... You know, here Brittany is with a tumor. Now she's worried about her mother. She says, I don't know how mom's going to take this. It's going to devastate her. I'm so worried about her. And so I need you to promise me you'll tell her face to face. So I said, oh, you know, that's going to be hard because if I talk to her on the phone, she will get it out of me. You know your mother. I mean, I, I turned into like a junior high boy when she just starts grilling me and I confess things that she wasn't even asking about. <laughs> See, Dad, you better figure it out because you're... You better figure it out. Just hang up from Brittany. I text Karen, said, where are you? She said, I'm in Pueblo West. She said, what they find out about the MRI? I know you know. No. <laughs> I said, uh, I, made a, I made a promise to Brittany that I'd tell you face-to-face. I need to honor that promise. So I'm driving to your office right now. How, how soon will you be there? She, I'll be there in 20 minutes. I said, I'll meet you there. Called a friend. We prayed. Sat in the parking lot. How do you tell your wife something like that? It's a valley, right? It's a valley. Karen shows up and uh, gets out of the car, and we're in the parking lot, and we're standing face-to-face. Brittany had already told me, as soon as you tell Mom, would you guys head up to our house? And we said, sure. And so we're standing face-to-face now in a parking lot, and Karen's asking me, says, uh, so, so what is it? And I say, well, you know, you know. <laughs> and here I am, I'm trained to give people news like this, but when it's your family, it's totally different, right? All that training goes out. And so I said, well, you know, maybe I should just tell you. And Karen's like, no, no, you just, you tell me. You just, you tell me. And I said, Karen? Brittany has a very serious brain tumor, and she's going to need brain surgery in two weeks. Karen immediately says, okay, let's go see them. Let's go pray with them. I'm like, are you okay? Are you, like, in denial? Or did you just hear me? She goes, you know, Charlie, I don't know what you're going to think about this. All I can tell you is what happened to me. After your text message and I started driving in from Pueblo, from Pueblo West, it was like God's presence filled the car. It was like he was sitting next to me. And she said, Charlie, I heard the word mass tumor. And then I saw a vision. I saw a picture of Brittany coming out of surgery, and she's going to be fine. And I'm like... I went to a Baptist seminary. We didn't have a class on dreams and visions. (laughs) I don't even know if they believe in that. I know it's in the scriptures. And she said, Charlie, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, she's going to be okay. It was like God was, he already told me. He already told me what she had. And he already told me, he's got this. 
And we drove, I'm telling you, sometimes his presence is more important than his power. His power comes through his presence. Last thing is this, you've got to rely on God's comfort. Have we had some dark days? Absolutely. Have we had some fear? Absolutely. I would not, listen, I would not stand up here in front of you and act like and try to act like we have walked through this valley in, the, in, in a perfect way. We have had panic. We have had fear. We have had tears. We have been petrified. We have been paralyzed. And to the very best of our ability, we are walking through this. And David said, you've got to rely on God's comfort. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff were two things that were used of a shepherd. They were, they were critical tools for a shepherd. A rod was a two-foot stick with a, with a heavy-weighted knob on the end. And so a skilled shepherd could use it as a weapon. They could throw it like a missile to take out a coyote or a wolf or a predator that was threatening the sheep. They could use it as a weapon for, for thieves or robbers. They could, and, and so as a weapon. And so in other words, what, what David was saying is, God, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna protect me. God, you're going to defend me. Listen, when you're in that valley and people are attacking you and attacking your character and attacking you as a person and people are coming against you, I'm telling you, when you're in that valley, David says, God will protect you. The second thing is, he says, your staff will comfort me. A staff was a long stick with a hook or a crook on the end. And a shepherd would use that to guide the sheep, to lead the sheep, to get the sheep going the right direction, but a shepherd would also use a staff when a, when a sheep would fall over and was in hurt or pain. He would use the staff to lift the sheep up and get the, and get the sheep going the right direction. In other words, this, David was saying, you not only protect me, you not only defend me, but you guide me, you care for me. God, you're with me in, you're with me in this, this battle. Listen, when you go, I'm telling you, man, we're living this. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you know what's scary? The shadows. The unknown. Because the shadows can seem bigger than your problem. Fear always makes your problems bigger. And I am so thankful that he said, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he did not say, I walk through the valley of death, but I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and there is a difference. Every one of us, listen, every one of us, a shadow is going to fall on us sooner or later. They're inevitable. And you've got to remember some things about shadows. Shadows are always bigger than your reality. Fear is always greater than the actual problem. That's why David said, I will not be afraid. Shadows, here's the crazy thing, shadows cannot hurt you. You ever been run over by a shadow of a truck? A shadow of a truck is much different than the truck itself, right? A shadow is the appearance of substance, but it is not. And just for there to be a shadow, there has to be light somewhere. And Jesus Christ is the one that says, I am the light of the world. Light of the world. Here a while back, we were up with grandkids and Cowboys were playing the Titans, and I'm in the living room by myself at this point because it's just ugly. How do you lose to the Titans? (laughs) 
And uh, all of a sudden, Nessa, our youngest, we have Gavin six, Micah's five, and, and then uh, Nessa's two and a half. And so I'm in the living room watching football, and the girls are doing something, whatever girls do. And Nessa comes running in, and she's like screaming. She's hysterical. And Nessa's my bud. I mean, Nessa and I. And so Nessa comes running in, and she, she's screaming, pop, 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 you know, that's me. And so I... Uh, <laughs> I grab her and throw her up in my arms, and I have her, and she's like screaming. Well, right behind her is Gavin and Micah. I don't know what Nessa did, but, man, those, those nasty boys are upset. And so, so they're here, and they're screaming at Nessa, and Nessa's screaming. At me, you know, she's screaming. So I have my body turned like this, and the boys are here, and, they, and they're just screaming. And I'm like, and Nessa looks at me and looks at them and screams because Nessa's dramatic. And so she looks at me, looks at them, screams, looks at me, looks at them, screams. And I'm like, can everybody? just back this down and we'll settle it out. And the boys are like going nuts. And all of a sudden, Nessa looked at me and looked at them and didn't scream. Looked at me and looked at them and didn't scream. Then she turns and looked at them and says, ha ha, you can't get me. Ha ha, you. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? What, <laughs> what changed? She still has to deal with these evil brothers, right? She still has the same problem. You know what changed? She realized the arms that she is in is bigger than her problem. You want to know how you walk through a valley and God is bigger than your problems? It's understanding that he is with you. It's understanding that he walks with you. He is with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff it comforts me. You guide me. You protect me. You take care of me. And as a result of that, I am going to follow you through the valley. Do you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?